simply impossible for us to understand just what the disciples were feeling during those three tumultuous days between Christ's crucifixion and the resurrection. In 24 hours, everything they had believed in and trusted in for three and a half years was gone. Their Messiah was publicly executed, hung upon a cross, and now their Christ is a, corp a corpse. The dreams that they had cherished are now shattered in a million pieces. Had everything they believed been a lie? Was this all a hoax? Was nothing true that they had been told? Surely if he had been the Messiah, they must have been thinking, surely then this would have been impossible uh, to happen. But there he is, their Messiah, and he's stone cold dead, lying in a tomb. And they were heartbroken, and they were confused, and not a little fearful, because maybe the authorities were going to come after them, and they would suffer the same fate. And so they were heartbroken, and they were confused. But it never even registered in their minds that Jesus had already warned them that exactly this is what was going to happen. He told them just hours beforehand that he was going away, but he would come back for them. He also told them about Jonah and how that Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and nights and that he himself would be in the heart of the earth for three days and nights. And then he told them, of course, about his temple, this temple. And he says, if men destroy this temple, I will raise it up again uh, after three days. And then he also said, if I am lifted up, then I will draw all men unto myself. But none of that made sense at the time, and none of it is making sense now. And so for fear of their own lives, they ran, they were frightened, and they scattered. And it's just hard for us to imagine the thought processes that they must have been going through when this happened, because life for them has come to a sudden halt. After three and a half years of every single day, just been out there in ministry with Christ, suddenly it's over in just a matter of hours. They had invested so much time, so much energy into this dream and into this Messiah. They had left their jobs. Some of these people were commercial fishermen. It was their business, and they had left everything to follow Jesus, and now he's dead, and he's buried. And it seemed that Rome and religion had conspired together, and now they had won. And so they felt they would never hear his voice again. They would never feel his embrace. They would never sit down at his feet. They would never hear his teaching again. So what now? Where do these disciples go from here? How could life ever be meaningful ever again? These were all young men in their prime, and now it is over. And so we're beginning to see then just how important the resurrection was for them and how important it is for us even today. Because if there is no resurrection, then all that we have believed and all that we have trusted in is also over, it's gone. It was a big lie, it was a big hoax. But thank God it was true that Jesus was indeed alive, that he rose again the third day. Now Paul said, that if Christ is not risen, our faith is in vain, and your faith also is in vain, and we are still in our sins, and all those who trusted in Christ when they died, all of those have perished. 
And so a strong belief and conviction in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ is not optional for us believers. It is absolutely vital. It's basic. It's foundational. Our whole system of belief, our belief in God, our belief in the Son of God, our belief in the Bible as the Word of God, all of that is meaningless except we believe in the resurrection, the great truth of that. Somebody said, lose that pearl and the whole necklace of our Christian faith will unravel. Now, when it comes to the subject of death, then Christianity can boldly declare what no other religion can say, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead sets us apart. No other belief system in the world believes that their leader died and rose again, never to die anymore. The resurrection was the touch paper that ignited the early church. John Stott said this, perhaps the transformation of the disciples of Jesus is the greatest evidence of all for the resurrection. It was the resurrection which turned Peter's fear into courage and James' doubt into faith. It was the resurrection that changed the Sabbath into Sunday and the Jewish remnant into the Christian church. It was the resurrection that changed Saul the Pharisee into Paul the Apostle and turned his persecuting into preaching. The cross and the resurrection became the very heart of all apostolic preaching. You've only got to read Peter's first sermon on the day of Pentecost and you'll see that's right at the very core of all that he said. And so what does the resurrection teach us? What does it show us? Well, first of all, it shows us that Jesus Christ is God. In Romans 1 and 4, Paul said, Jesus Christ, our Lord, declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness, listen to this, by the resurrection from the dead. Now, other scriptures tell us, of course, that others had lived and died and rose again. In fact, it's recorded three times that Jesus rose the dead. But all of them, all of them died and went back into the grave. But actually, when Jesus rose from the dead, he never, ever died again. That's why Paul said in Romans 6 and 9, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death has no longer any dominion over him. He's the conqueror of death. Jesus said, destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus says, I have power to lay down my life and to raise it up again. In 1 Corinthians 15, which is the great resurrection chapter, uh, Paul tells us there about the evidence of Christ rising from the dead. And he tells us that not only was he seen by his disciples, not only did he personally meet him later, but 500 people, 500 saw him when he was resurrected. So this thing wasn't done on a corner. There was lots of eyewitnesses to Christ's resurrection. And of course, Christ is indeed alive. We too have the evidence of Scripture. We too have the evidence of our changed lives. We too have the history of many, many martyrs. Even though they had never seen Christ, yet they were willing to lay down their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. Auguste Comte, 
the French philosopher, was in deep conversation with Thomas Carlyle, the Scottish essayist. And Comte said that he was going to begin and start a new religion which would supplant Christ. And there would be no mysteries in this religion. It would be as plain as a multiplication table. And he said its name was to be positivism. Carlyle looked at him and said, very good, Mr. Comte, very good. All you will need to do is speak as never man has spoken. All you will need to do is live as never man has lived. And then you will need to be crucified and die and be buried and rise again the third day. And after you do all that, then your religion will probably get on well. But of course, nobody else could do such a thing. But that's what the early church did. They got their world to believe that Christ was alive and we have to do the very same. A.W. Tozer said, I believe that Christ died for me because it is incredible. But I believe that Christ rose again from the dead because it is impossible. And as Christians, that's what you and I have got to do. We've got to believe in the incredible. We've got to believe in the impossible. We believe in an empty cross. We believe in an empty tomb. We believe in a Christ-filled throne. That is our belief. Robert Leslie Holmes said that one day Michelangelo challenged his fellow artists. Why is it, he asked them, that you fill gallery after gallery with portraits of Christ in abject weakness on the cross? Why do you picture him hanging as a dead man as though that were the last word we have about him? Do you not know that the cross, that the cross was not the last word? Isn't that a great statement? Do you not know that the cross was not the last word? Christ in his glorious, victorious resurrection had the last word over death, hell, and the grave. If you were to ask 100 people on the street, when it comes to religion, what is the most important question? I I suppose that some would say, well, does God exist? Some may say, well, Why doesn't God stop all the wars and and do away with all the diseases and and make all things well? Or they might say, well, is there really life after death? But not one in a hundred would ask, did Jesus Christ actually rise from the dead? And really without finding the answer to that, then the rest of the questions are meaningless. In fact, belief in the physical resurrection of Jesus. And notice I say the physical resurrection of Jesus because there's a lot of modernistic preachers and they talk about the resurrection as being a spiritual thing or a mystical thing. But actually it was a physical, a real literal physical resurrection. And it goes to the very heart even of our salvation. Romans 10 and 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And of course, Paul says, if Christ is not risen from the dead, then our faith is in vain. We're still in our sins and it doesn't work. Christianity's a fraud if that's the case. But we know, of course, that Christ did rise from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus was a non-preventative certainty. Death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him. It was not possible that he should be held by it. 
Once Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Once he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Once he bowed his head and breathed his last breath, then nothing on earth or under the earth could prevent his resurrection. Nothing. No devil, no demon in hell, nothing could stop Jesus Christ rising again from the dead. In fact, it would have been a miracle if he hadn't have risen from the dead. Jesus never, ever doubted his resurrection. Never once did he doubt that he would rise again. Destroy this temple, three days I will raise it up. I have power to lay down my life. I have power to take it up again. I am the resurrection and I am the life. How could the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus, how could it be held by death? How could his body turn to dust in a grave when in Psalm 16 it tells us very clearly that God promised that he would not leave his Holy One to see corruption? You see, in God's economy, life is not the exception to the rule of death, but rather the rule of death is the exception to the rule of life. Resurrection, in our view, is often God interrupting the rule of death. But in reality, death, which is the result of sin, was an interruption to God's law of life. God's rule is life, eternal life, everlasting life, abundant life, the spirit of life which is in Christ Jesus. The problem, however, in our thinking is that death has become the rule. It's so universal. It's so certain. It's so terrible in our thinking. The ultimate statistic, one out of every one dies. But then the resurrection becomes the exception in our thinking. But Paul didn't think this way. In fact, when he was standing before King Agrippa, he says, why do you think that it is incredible that God should raise the dead? In Acts 26, verse 8. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, he says, in Adam all die, but in Christ all shall be made alive. And in these powerful, powerful words of the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen, ascended, glorified Christ, in Revelation 1 and 8, Here's what he said. I am he that lives and was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore and have the keys of death and hell. Satan doesn't have those keys. Only Christ has the keys of death and hell. So why was the resurrection of Jesus an absolute certainty? Why was it not possible that Jesus could be held by death? Well, first of all, because of his own inherent power. Destroy this temple, I will raise it up in three days. I have the power to lay down my life. I have the power to take it up again. You see, he had this inherent power. It's not that he just raised people from the dead. He was the resurrection and the life. The resurrection and the life was his. He could impart that because also of God's prophetic word. In Psalm 16, which I just mentioned a moment ago, in verses 8 to 10, let me read it to you. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. 
Therefore my heart is glad and my flesh rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. Listen to this. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. What a beautiful prophetic messianic psalm. And here it's mentioning the Lord Jesus Christ. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Corruption would usually set in on the fourth day. Now you remember Jesus, it's recorded that he raised three from the dead. The first one was Jairus' daughter. The second one was the widow of Nain's son. The third one, of course, was Lazarus. Now you remember Jairus' daughter and how that Jairus wanted Jesus to come and, and, and heal his little daughter, but he was interrupted on his journey by the woman with the issue of blood. And that took a little bit of time. And so by the time they got to Jairus' home, the little girl had just literally just died. And they said to Jairus, don't bother the master any further. The damsel is dead. And Jesus looked at Jairus and he says, don't be afraid. And Jesus went into that room and he says, damsel, little girl, I say unto you, arise. And she rose from the dead. And then on another occasion, Jesus and the disciples, they were, they were going to Nain, the village of Nain. And as they got close to Nain, a funeral procession was coming out. And at the head of it was a widow woman whose only son had died. Now he had probably died maybe that morning or maybe the night before. And so they were about to bury him. And there was men carrying him on, on like a pallet with a shroud over it on their shoulders going to the cemetery. And Jesus had compassion on that woman because this is her only son. It was tough being a widow in those days. And it was even tougher if you didn't have anybody to provide for you. So Jesus, it says, touched that pallet and raised that young man up from the dead. And then the next, of course, was with Lazarus. Now remember the little girl, she was just minutes dead. Her body would still be warm. The young man, he would certainly be ours Maybe even 24 hours there, his body would be cold. But remember when it came to Lazarus. When Lazarus was dying, they sent for Jesus. And when Jesus heard that he's good friend, he loved Lazarus. He loved his sisters, Mary and Martha. He spent many, many days and hours in their home, fellowshipping, enjoying and teaching and eating and sleeping there. It was a wonderful, beautiful place for him to be. But whenever he heard that Lazarus was dying, he didn't go. And they were really annoyed because they thought, well, your friend Lazarus is dying. Can you come and heal him? But Jesus still abode two days where he was. Then after two days, he said to his disciples, right, let's go now. And so it took another day to get there. It took a day for the messenger to come. Two days he waited. So that's four days. Twice it says in John 11, two places it says that Lazarus was dead four days. And in fact, you remember when he told them to roll away the stone from the grave? What did the sister say? By this time he stinketh. In other words, corruption had set in. Corruption had set in. Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day. Corruption could not set in. But in Lazarus' case, it had set in. And another thing about this story is that the Jews didn't have the understanding, certainly in those days, that we have of the afterlife. And so there was a superstition among them that the rabbis handed down that the human spirit, after the body died, it would hang around for three days. 
And if it didn't re-enter the body on the fourth day, it would go, and that would be it. It would be impossible after that. And Jesus waited deliberately until corruption had set in, until that superstition was gone, till they could not believe in that any longer. And then he was the resurrection and the life. And by his mighty power, he shouted, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, with his grave clothes on, walked out of that tomb, a live, living man. What an example of his power, and what a statement to make about his messiahship, because nobody had ever done anything like this ever before. And so it's wonderful that the Lord Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. But it's according to the Bible we believe this. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he arose again the third day according to the scriptures. In Matthew 12, he gives the sign of Jonah. In Job 19, even Job, even Job in verses 25 and 26, he said, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God. Even in his limited understanding, he believed that one day in his flesh he would stand before God and see God. John 14 and 19, because I live, you shall live also. Christ's resurrection guarantees our resurrection. He has arisen that we might rise. Death not, could not hold him, and death will not be able to hold you either. You cannot be defeated. You're victorious in his victory. You will overcome in your battles. Paul declares this in 2 Corinthians 2.14. Thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph. Jesus is conqueror over all the powers of darkness. They shall not prevail over you. I love the story of old Dr. Joseph Parker. He was the great London preacher in the 1800s in London City Temple. And this was the era, uh, particularly in Britain, where the Age of Enlightenment had caused people now to, to begin to look to reason and science rather than to look to God and to look to the Bible. And so it became very popular. Uh, and these critics of the Bible and of church were, were rampant throughout the whole of the British Isles. And in this time, old Dr. Parker, he climbs up into his pulpit, and here's what he said. Some have found fault with me. They say I'm old-fashioned and out of date. I'm always quoting the Bible. Why not turn to science this morning? There is a poor widow here who's lost her only son. She wants to know if she will see him again. Science shall give the answer, and I will put the book away. And so he took the book and put it on the seat behind, and he said, Will this woman see her son again? Where is she? Does death end it all? What has science to say? And there was a long pause. We are waiting for the answer. The woman is anxious. Again, there was another long pause. The woman's heart is breaking. Science must speak. Nothing to say? Surely. Then we must take the book. And here he reverently replaced it. And with great deliberation, 
he said, he opened it and read, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. The dead in Christ shall rise. This corruption must put on incorruption. This mortality must put on immortality. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? I saw the dead, both small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and they were judged out of those things that were written in the books. And then closing the book, and patting it affectionately, he said, we will stick to the book. Well said, sir. We too will stick to the book. Our friends, whenever it comes to the great issues of life and death and resurrection, we too will stick to the book. This is where we get our truth and our comfort and our strength and our help from today. So aren't you glad today that the Lord Jesus Christ is not a dead Savior? He has arisen, ascended, glorified Lord and he's the soon coming king of all kings and one day the eastern sky will be broken and Christ will come in clouds and he will control everything upon this earth because he is the great Lord over all. So thank God today that his son has been risen from the dead so this Sunday resurrection day we can rejoice and we can glorify Jesus, the Son of God, because he has been gloriously, victoriously risen again from the dead. Amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he was not left in that cold grave, but he conquered death and hell and the grave, and he rose victorious for us so that we might rise in the last day, that we might be resurrected, that we might enjoy this resurrection life that he has promised to give all of his children. So we give you thanks today for your great son. We thank that he is our Lord and he is our Savior today, that we have entrusted him as Lord today. And so we bless you for that. We give you thanks this Sunday, this resurrection day, for the wonder and the glory of a risen Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.